you don't know where people are going to encounter your brand. And, and sometimes the encounter is literally the, phys, the physical one in your store, in our case, in our restaurants. But in, in, in the marketing communications arena, you don't know where they're going to encounter your brand. So you need to, you need to have one central theme or focus. And in our case, we chose to have the central phone being unexpectedly fun engagement from these renegade cows who behave like seven-year-olds. From cave drawings to family histories to stories around the fire, humans crave order among chaos, connection amid isolation. So we tell stories. Our mission at the Storytellers Network is to bring the art of story to the masses. Whether you're in marketing, you're an entrepreneur, or you're developing your own personal brand, telling your story effectively can make the difference between celebrating milestones and collecting unemployment. The Storytellers Network strives to help storytellers tell their stories so you can learn from the best. Now, your host, Dan Moyle. Welcome back or welcome to the Storytellers Network. I'm your host, Dan Moyle, and I'm excited to have you on board today listening to this episode because we get to dive into uh, the entertainment side of advertising or the advertising side of entertainment. We'll see what it is. Uh, but So I'm excited to bring this great storyteller to you. Before we get into his story, though, real quick, uh, the storytellersnetwork.com is where you can go for all the information you need, past episodes with great interviews and amazing insights with some wonderful guests. I cannot be more positive about it. Uh, I've had an incredible run so far. And so, yeah, so the storytellersnetwork.com for all of that old episodes check those out. Also resources to help you better tell your story and contact information for me if you'd like to connect. Uh, so today's guest, Steve Robinson, he is the former CMO, Chief Marketing Officer of Chick-fil-A, a huge American brand. Uh, they get a ton of attention on, on their, their hospitality. They're my pleasure when you say thank you when you go into stores. Uh, when they open a store, in a city, they have lines for days. They have such a huge following. Uh, and they're closed on Sundays, which is interesting. But they're still one of the top fast food brands, the unfast food, as Steve calls it. Uh, and Steve is one of the minds behind this and the, one, of the guy, one of the people responsible for the Eat More Chicken Cows campaign. And he wrote a book called Covert Cows and Chick-fil-A, How Faith, Cows, and Chicken Built an Iconic Brand. And so... To me, it's an entertaining story when it comes to uh, advertising. So the, these cows, as Steve describes them, are renegade cows who act as if they're seven years old. And so it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun to see that campaign. And it's a 20-some year campaign, which is kind of unheard of. And he's 35 years as a CMO, so which is very much unheard of. So it was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Uh, we unpack what it means to, to tell stories and the fact that Storytelling and entertaining and advertising is not new, even though we kind of maybe think it is right now with viral videos and stuff. It is not new. It's been around for a long time. And you have to use entertainment and engagement and story to get your word out and build your brand. So great conversation. I hope you enjoy it. So let's get to Steve's stories. Steve, welcome to the show. We're excited to have you on the Storytellers Network. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. So Steve, I was excited to connect with you uh, when I heard about your book and uh, your folks reached out and said, hey, here's this cool thing. I thought, man, what a storyteller to me. <laughs> um, do you consider yourself a storyteller, Steve? You know, I, I do. I, there may be some that would debate whether I'm very good at it. <laughs> but, uh, 
I feel like one of the greatest opportunities for CMO, and particularly a CMO that's trying to build a brand, is to figure out what is the story of the brand, and, and, and not a self-centered story, but what is the story of the brand in the life of customers who love that brand? Hmm. Um, and help them, help them find stories, in our case, in the Chick-fil-A brand, that they identify with, that adds, adds value to a life, but in, in the process of identifying with our story, uh, they become more loyal to the Chick-fil-A brand. And, and they, tell, they tell the story to others. So uh, many, of our, many of our strategies in the business were designed to create a story, but, but not just for the benefit of creating a story, but to create a story that people value. So that's not a new thing. That's all it's of a sudden, a, like the, yeah, it's not not the not the the 2019 thing. Um, so I want to I want to get into that that campaign that I think you know really solidified Chick Fil A for everybody. Um, in just a minute, but I, I want to kind of start though. We're we're in the season of storytellers network. That's we're talking about entertainment storytellers, and yeah. what what I thought of with Chick Fil A and with the cows campaign was right. It's entertainment, man. Like, I remember when it came out back in 95 and we didn't even have a Chick-fil-A around. Right. Uh, I'm in Southwest Michigan, so we just got one a few years ago. Um, Good. But, but like, I can, I, can, I can remember back then of seeing that and going, wait, what is this? That's funny. Oh, it's, it's like puns and funny and story. Uh, where did that kind of, where did that spark kind of start for you, Steve, uh, that you yes. wanted to entertain with your marketing? Yes, yes. Uh, great question. <clears throat> Well, it actually started, Dan, by listening to customers. Hmm. We, Chick-fil-A's, uh, Chick-fil-A's early history was we were a mall-based restaurant. So advertising really was not a, uh, a need in the business. The, the mall was the medium. Um, and how we, how we worked with mall tenants, how we worked with the mall, how we leveraged the space and the store frontage, et cetera. The mall was the primary medium of the business, but when Chick-fil-A started building freestanding restaurants in the late 80s, obviously we went from being a captive audience marketer to a destination marketer. We had to create a reason to want to go out of your way to go to Chick-fil-A store. And one of the things we faced was the majority of people in America, any market we were in, even Atlanta, our hometown, the majority of people still didn't know who Chick-fil-A was. And I never tried it <clears throat> because the majority of people are not regular mall shoppers. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so in the mid nineties, we started to have enough stores scattered around about 20 to 25 mar- markets predominantly in the Southeast where it was time for advertising to play a role to create an awareness that you play, but create some kind of story reason where you want to go there. And we started doing research, and we didn't do quantitative research. We did qualitative research. We did tons of focus groups <clears throat> where we listened to customers who loved Chick-fil-A, who knew us. Why do you love Chick-fil-A? What, if, if, if you were to see advertising from Chick-fil-A, what would you expect? Now, here's the interesting part. What they expected was basically what they see from every other fast food brand. They expected to see food or price or deals. 
And that wasn't who we were. It wasn't who we wanted to be. We didn't feature price. We didn't feature discounts. And quite frankly, if you saw a picture of the Chick-fil-A sandwich, uh, it could be sitting right next to the McDonald's chicken sandwich, and you couldn't tell them apart. Mm. And coming out of that research, we realized that <clears throat> we had to find a way of, of advertising that was distinctive, different, and as you said, entertaining. The, the actual word we used was, how do we engage? Mm. By this time, we've, we have recruited and hired the Richards Group, and they really drove into us the whole idea, not only to engage, get their attention, but do something that would be endearing, uh, something that would make the brand different and special. Mm -hmm. And so they started developing uh, recommendations for 3D billboards. We couldn't afford television in, their, in the, the late 90s. The only meeting we could afford 24-7, 365, was billboards. Mm -hmm. And they recommended 3D billboards. And they started developing concepts to leverage that technology. And the fact that everybody else in fast food was using the billboard to tell you what they're selling, here's the food, where to turn, here's the price. So they come to us with brand building ideas and their, their entertainment ideas. One of the very first boards we ran <laughs> was not the cows, it was this giant 3D board with a, rub, a 3D rubber chicken stretched all the way across the billboard. And the headline was, if it's not Chick-fil-A, it's a joke. <laughs> all right. <laughs> not, not even a logo. If it's not Chick-fil-A, it's a joke. Huh. And we're taking that board in, in, on the Northwest Freeway in Dallas, and it created all kinds of buzz. And we not only know, knew the billboard was a great idea, but we realized this was the way to break through the clutter of fast food and make people smile and mm -hmm. make them and associate our brand with a light moment, a smile, not taking ourselves seriously. And we were kind of considered a bit of a boring brand. And so to be unexpectedly fun was exactly on strategy for Chick-fil-A. Hmm. Uh, it ought to be fun. Our culture was fun. Our people had fun in the restaurants. So from that board, they started developing other concepts. We ran two or three others in Atlanta that were very popular. I'm going to bore you with the details, but they were all around this idea of engaging entertainment. About a year into the campaign is when they came to, to us with this idea that absolutely blew me away these two cows painting a billboard that says eat more chicken and it 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 you know my my litmus test for this stand was really very simple if it made me and my team laugh and we were a very diverse team it was probably going to be really good yeah and we didn't do a lot of concept testing or quality qualitative research with, with these boards we just if they if they made people laugh, including our own our own team, we'd give them a try. We ran that billboard in Atlanta during the 1996 Olympics. It was a huge hit. Uh, we took it and put it in our top 20 markets for the next three months. We had cows that were stolen off the boards. We had stories. Oh. We had stories running on the wire service and CNN, and that led to the decision. Okay, these 
quirky cows trying to defend themselves, <laughs> protect themselves, is a big idea. But how? What? What? What does it look like if it's more than just one billboard? Yeah, and that's well, where the really started to step up. Yeah, and what a what a great timing. It's you know it's like that magic of when things come together. The the Olympics in Atlanta. I mean, again, I can I can remember that and how big that was. So having that that captive audience, that's great. It was also about a year before we did our original deal for the Chick Fil A Peach Bowl, which at some point we knew we were going to have to have. <laughs> we hoped compelling, creative for a bowl game, huh. and we didn't have anything yet. Wow! And, uh, so after that, board ran in our top twenty markets, and it got such a favorable reaction. Um, we gave them a, a three-month assignment. Go back. If if this premise of eat more chicken were a campaign, what would it look like? Not just in boards, but in TV, radio, print, in-store, uh, in-store point of sale. Even how do we leverage it on packaging? It, it, it's got to be fully integrated because we don't have enough money to not do it that way. Yeah. And they came back with a with a flushed out campaign. Uh, we started running it and I I worked with them for almost twenty two years with them keeping that campaign fresh, fun, relevant. And uh it, it clearly became iconic for the brand. Yeah. But they delivered on, on the on the three big ideas. The one was it's gotta engage. And what we meant by that was the minute people saw it, it's gotta be something they know that's just like. It had to be endearing. And in this case, endearing was simply to make you smile and brighten your day. But what we learned over time, it also had to be enduring. Uh, it had to be fresh, relevant, or, pardon the pun, it wouldn't have legs. It wouldn't last. And uh, they, they stuck to those principles and kept the campaign uh, really, really fresh and, and fun. Yeah. And, and enduring, like you said, is, is key. 22 years for one campaign. I mean, it's like I read an article in Forbes about you, Steve, talking about your tenure with Chick-fil-A as CMO and how that's just unheard of. So yeah, the, the tenure, the enduring quality is awesome. And the other thing I heard you say, Steve, I find interesting is that you did all those focus groups early on and, and you listened to the customers, but then you didn't necessarily do exactly what they said. It's kind of like, I don't know if Henry Ford ever said it, but if I had to ask people what they wanted, they just would have wanted a faster horse. Yes. Yes. And so, and, and I think the same thing with Steve Jobs. So I think that takes a certain amount of wisdom to say, okay, we're going to listen to our clients. Yes. But not necessarily go with our, with what they say. We, we want to give them what they need. Um, yes. Is that, I mean, gosh, is that something that you just kind of inherently you're, knew? You're, you're, you, you are scratching on a, a big, a big idea. Yeah. Um, it, was, it became even a hot topic within the business on, on how to manage the tension between what customers say, even what data data says, and ultimately the decision you make on how to act on what they say or what the data says. And I, 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 I tried to form, um, I tried to direct conversation around that tension. The label I used was it's informed intuition. Hmm. You, the, the, in this case, the customers informed us on what they expected, but in the process of them telling us what they expected, they were telling us how we would get lost <laughs> because we didn't have a lot of money. 
we were a small, we were just a fledgling brand going out on the street in the, in the nineties. And, you know, even in 96, we didn't have, we had less than 500 stores across the entire country that were on the street. So what they were really telling us was if you want to be, if you want us to pay attention to you, don't do this. <laughs> you know, don't just show us food. Don't just show us price. Don't just tell us where to turn. And so the agency took that to their credit and they did a 180. And so the whole concept informed intuition became a big theme in our department. How, how do you use data and customer research to inform intuition, to inform uh, the process of, of wisdom, the word you used. And um, I, I think if you have a clear understanding of where you're trying to take your brand, then the, the intuition, that intuition, that insight, creates this, this healthy tension, this healthy mix with what you're hearing from customers. Or what you're hearing from data. I, 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 I'll just say this while I'm on a roll here. <clears throat> One of my biggest concerns for marketers today is the focus on analytics is fine. The focus on data is fine. I mean, let's be efficient. Let's be effective. But if you use those things to predominantly make your decisions, I think it leads to creating transactional brands and it almost completely eliminates the possibility of building emotionally engaging brands because emotionally engaging brands have to identify the, the, the emotional engagement component of what you choose to do. And so in this case, it was the cow campaign, but that, that, that perspective helped our team develop new food items, develop our hospitality model, uh, develop customer-facing technology that wasn't what customers were used to, but once they saw it and got it, it was what they wanted and loved. And um, I think part of the role of the CMO as a brand manager is to create, use data, but don't, don't rely on it. Man, so much good. <laughs> I could just sit and listen to that, to that lecture again and again, you know, as, as a marketer, well, well, uh, <clears throat> those thoughts, I guess I should say, I mean, as a marketer professionally, I, I like, I see that all the time. So I totally understand. Um, yeah. but then also as a creative person, I mean, it sounds to me, Steve, like you're talking about a little bit of science, a little bit of art, a little bit of wisdom, a little bit of experience and just yeah. like the magic happens. I mean, it, yeah. it sounds kind of, like it, it unicorns is, and rainbows, you're, but you're, you're right. It, it is not, there's no guarantee. Right. There, there is an element of, of, uh, there is science, there is art. And as a result, there's an element of luck. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, no artist sits down and, and paints a highly prized, highly valued piece of art. Probably the first time they pick up a paintbrush. Right. And uh, it's no different for a brand manager. Now, I think an important point here, Dan, I, this is a good point to make. And you referenced this earlier. I had a 35-year career at Chick-fil-A, and most of my team members had 20 or more. Hmm. And many of them are still there. 
And so here's my point. We operated in a culture that allowed us to think this way because Chick-fil-A's culture was literally created by the founder, Truett Cathy. And people ask me, well, what was the culture like? Well, it was a, it was a culture, but fundamentally rooted in the man's faith. But the way that played out was he was, um, he was, he was gracious, he was generous, and the ultimate benefit for me was he was also empowering. Hmm. I mean, he literally told me in his last interview with me back in 1980, I asked him, what do you want me to do if I became your marketing director? And he said, I have, I have absolutely no idea. All I know is I don't want to do it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> And he said, but I, what I care about is who you are and whether we can trust each other and have fun together. And at the time when I'm doing this interview, I'm thinking, really? <laughs> but the man lived that out. Mm. He, um, he sold the Chick-fil-A businesses literally as a gift from God. He had his ups and downs. Everything had not been smooth in his life. And suddenly this little simple sandwich is a big idea and it's becoming the catalyst of a growing, thriving business. And he saw it as a way to uh, empower others, starting with Chick-fil-A operator, local restaurant operator, but also empowering staff to do what only we could do because he didn't want to do it <laughs> and, and let the operators do what only they could do because he didn't want to be solving day-to-day -day problems on the front lines. Mm -hmm. So in that environment, we had the freedom to consider ideas that were outside the normal paradigms of fast food. Mm -hmm. and, and the biggest, the, the bigger underpinning of that, Dan, was we had, we had the ability to entertain ideas that had a longer horizon perspective and not what is this going to do for the next quarter? How's this going to drive transactions for the next 90 days? Mm -hmm. We weren't, we weren't thinking that way. We were thinking about how do we build the, the brand, the reputation of Chick-fil-A, make it more meaningful, more valuable, and to your point, even more entertaining. So over the long haul, people want to spend more time visiting Chick-fil-A unit than a competitor's unit. Mm -hmm. Now I will tell you over that 35 years, it wasn't until the last 10 or 15 years of my career that suddenly dawned on me, Chick-fil-A could potentially become an iconic brand. And when people would ask me, what do you mean by iconic? Everybody has a different definition, but this was the definition I used. Chick-fil-A has the opportunity to become an iconic brand, or in other words, a brand that no one can live without. Hmm. I don't think people can live without Apple, not if they're loyal to Apple. Nope. Nobody, if they love the running shoes of Nike, they can't live without Nike. And we can start ticking off favorite brands. The guy who loves his Beamers or his Harley Davidson. Mm -hmm. These are brands like you. Yep. These are people cannot live. You can't see yourself living without a Harley. Right. Under the way it sounds when you crank it up. Mm -hmm. And that became the dream for many of us at Chick-fil-A. How do we continue to shape and, and, and put layers of value around the Chick-fil-A brand that makes it one customers cannot live without. So we took that approach with food, service, campaigns, events, everything, everything we did.
So, and it's, so only, and it's only because of the culture that we had the opportunity to work in. Yeah. So it's way more than just selling a sandwich. As a CMO, didn't matter about the sandwich. Bingo. We, we, man, you, I, it's like I queued you up. <laughs> we, we went from selling sandwiches to becoming a good restaurant chain in the 90s Become a, becoming a customer experience in 2000s, mm -hmm. particularly when we introduced our hospitality model, to becoming a brand nobody could live without. Mm -hmm. That's correct. And how and now, even the technology piece is part of a brand people cannot live without. Mm -hmm. um, the technology engagement at the restaurants, through their, through their apps, Chick-fil-A One, et cetera. Yeah. How important in today's super saturated million choices all these distractions how important is customer service the hospitality side of it you said uh in our stories I, I, i'll illustrate for you how important it is about 15 years ago every year we did a major brand what we call a brand benchmark study where we measured um what people valued what they thought about the Chick-fil-A brand and it was a national sample, but it was large enough that we could aggregate it by our top cities, our top markets. Hmm. And 12, 15 years ago, if you ask people, give us the top reasons why you love Chick-fil-A, the top five or six items would all be food related. Today, Dan, <laughs> the top five or six reasons are all people engagement related. Mm -hmm. I like, the way they greet me. I like the way they say my pleasure when I say thank you. Mm -hmm. I like the fact that they personally engage, they look me in the eye. Uh, I like the way they serve me, the way they serve me out in the drive-thru or the way they serve me at my counter by refreshing my drink or cleaning my table. It isn't until item five or six that people now say, oh, and by the way, I love this menu item or this menu <laughs> item, this menu item. Mm -hmm. So the question is, the hospitality model that took the better year, better of seven years to develop, test, and ultimately roll out. Wow. We call this second mile service, and I unpack the whole history of that in my book. Yeah. Um, I would tell you that I think it's, it's changed the brand even more than the cow campaign. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, because it has redefined the experience, which is where your question started. It has made Chick-fil-A literally the unfast food of fast food brands. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, is a, it is an experience people don't expect in a fast food restaurant. And then when they get it and they actually receive personal attention and gracious hospitality, they're shocked. Mm -hmm. And then when they get it again, they fall in love with it. Mm -hmm. And so it, it has changed uh, the hospitality component of Chick-fil-A has changed the brand. Now, it's very hard to do. I mean, Chick-fil-A now has over 140,000 team members in these restaurants. And as Dan Cathy, the current CEO, likes to say, it's, it's hard to train 140,000 young people, some of them a little Neanderthal, <laughs> uh, <laughs> new habits, courtesy, and etiquette, mm -hmm. but that's the mission of Chick-fil-A. And quite frankly, we couldn't do it without the operators who run these restaurants because they are engaged in these restaurants. They're, they're not 
they're not subbing leadership out. They are engaged. They're doing the recruiting. They're doing the training. They're doing the development. And as a result, their team members stay uh, a lot, lot longer than the average fast food team member. So mm-hmm. you can, you're going to make an investment in hospitality and have it pay off. Absolutely. And, and like, not to, you know, oversell it, but you're, you're essentially changing the world by teaching young people how to be courteous and have etiquette and, yeah. and speak yeah. and make eye contact. I mean, we're yeah. also used to looking down at our phones, like let's make eye contact, my friend. So yeah. that's awesome. And if, and if Dan was here, if he, if you were interviewing Dan, he would tell you that the genesis of that hospitality model was based on Matthew five verse 41 where Christ told his disciples, if somebody asks you to carry their pack a mile, a Roman soldier, a Gentile, mm-hmm. I tell you, carry that pack two miles. Mm-hmm. And so the premise of hospitality at Chick-fil-A is to do the unexpected second mile. 2,000-year-old mm-hmm. advice, but it That's, works today so well. It works every time, yeah. So Steve, I want to go back to something you talked about earlier. You mentioned that Chick-fil-A back in the 90s didn't have the money to, to, to waste, as it were. You needed to have a, what you call the fully integrated campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I'd like to kind of explore that a little bit, unpack that a little bit. It, I feel like it's not just marketing and advertising that needs that, but it's storytellers in general. Whether I'm creating an, an audio drama podcast, whether I'm <clears throat> writing a book, whether I'm making an ad, if I'm telling a story in some way, right. just how important is it to have more than one medium to go after with that story? It's crucial, Dan, because, I mean, just step back and reflect upon the, the, the number of screens and earplug audio channels <laughs> that people are interacting with today. Uh, you don't know where people are going to encounter your brain. Um, and, and sometimes the encounter is literally, literally the, phys, the physical one in your store, in our case, in our restaurants. But in, in, in the marketing communications arena, you don't know where they're going to encounter your brand. So you need, to, you need to have one central theme or focus. And in our case, we chose to have the central phone being unexpectedly fun engagement from these renegade cows who behave like seven-year-olds. <laughs> and and that, that literally was the positioning of the creator. Huh. Renegade cows behaving like seven-year-olds. And but you have to be consistent with it. If you got a different message over here, particularly if you have small budgets relative to your competitors, um I mean we were, for example, back in um when I left, which was 2015, my last there, last year there, I mean our whole media budget was probably no larger than one week of the media budget at McDonald's. Mm-hmm. So if the idea wasn't breakthrough and compelling and engaging and ideally entertaining, we're lost. And the, the reality, that's the environment most marketers operate in. They don't operate in the, in the world of McDonald's and Apple budgets. They work, they work in the same realities of Chick-fil-A. Mm-hmm. And so you got to use every message platform you have once you know what your, what your big idea is. And so, for example, you bring it into the Chick-fil-A store. We not only have cows in the Chick-fil-A store, but what we just talked about, we have this highly engaged 
intentional service model where you have multiple points of service, not just the counter, not just the drive-through, not just the drive-through window, but at your table or in the dining room or at a baseball game <clears throat> or at a college football game. It doesn't matter. There is always a consistent hospitality. We, we call it gracious hospitality experience if you interact with Chick-fil-A and our food. And if you interact with media like this, <laughs> the cows are there to make you laugh, to make you smile, and to remind you, uh, you really don't want to eat burgers. <laughs> you want to you save us. Mm -hmm. So long answer, you don't have a lot of money, you better use every resource, every platform you have. Yeah. And that's what we did. The other thing that just came to mind as you were talking about the service um, is making making a, a purposeful strategic effort to create what Jay Bear calls a talk trigger, uh, word of mouth marketing. Like if you don't have the marketing yeah. budget, the advertising budget of Apple, you can create word of mouth marketing strategically so that your people become ambassadors. Yes. So, yeah. Well, one of the things we learned, Dan, over time uh, was if we did this well, if we did, we had a great food experience, a great, hospitality experience and even a great marketing engagement experience it accelerated creating what we borrow a term from Jim Blanchard uh, it accelerated the creation of raving fans mm -hmm. and, um, and and through research we were able to help operators understand this is what raving fans do they come more often they tell others about chick-fil-a and by the way, they'll even talk to you if you disappoint them because mm -hmm. they love you. And they don't mind paying full price. They're not looking for deals because your product, your experience is worth full price. Come more often, tell others and pay full price. Well, you can build, a, you can build an incredible business on that because what I just described whether you call them raving fans or, or brand advocates, is you're creating millions of marketing agents for your business, which is much more powerful than trying to buy transactions through traditional media investment. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, and again, that's what you were doing 20 years ago. It's now become this, this movement. Um, Mark Schaefer wrote a book, Marketing Rebellion, where he talks about that and says, you can't force people to buy your stuff, but because they don't trust corporate, but your fans are the ones who do it. You know, yeah. you have to be welcomed yeah. to the island, as it were. That's and right. tell your story and, and empower yeah. them to tell that story. Uh, I don't know if you've read the book Blue Ocean by Strategy. Okay, uh, no, but it's around a similar line. Uh, you might want to suggest it to your listeners, viewers. Um, it basically talks about what I've described. How do you craft a strategy that puts you in the middle of this ocean with all kind of competitors, <clears throat> but you create this nice blue, quiet water where there are no competitors? Mm -hmm. uh, you go skiing, you don't want a bunch of boats around you. Mm -hmm. You want you go sailing, you want to, you don't want a bunch of other big boats to serve in the water. You want quiet, smooth, blue water. Well. That's the premise of the book. How do you create a blue ocean space? Your brand is so unique and so different. You own the space. And um, 
I, I think it's safe to say that's what's happened for Chick-fil-A. I think we quite frankly discovered we were crafting a bluish strategy before the book even came, before we even knew it. <laughs> and, um, and the team that's there now is no pardon the pun, but they are staying the course and uh, they're staying on the, they're staying on the course of, of, creating this experience around the Chick-fil-A brand that makes it unique, different, and one they can protect. Awesome. And it, and it comes back to story, telling the Chick-fil-A story, having yes. your ambassadors tell the story. It comes that, back to the story. That's the most powerful part. They're yeah. telling the story. Excellent. Sure. And speaking so, of stories, I, I want to make sure we, we remind everybody to listening and, and watching uh, Covert Cows and Chick-fil-A is the book that Steve wrote. And, and from, you know, full disclosure, didn't read all the way to the end yet, but from what I've read, great book. Thank you. know, what a cool way to pull back that curtain on, on an iconic brand. Um, so go buy the book. There'll be a link in the show notes, but yeah, Covert Cows and Chick-fil-A. Uh, how fun was that to write the book or was it like, was it p- painful? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it wasn't painful. It was fun. Uh, it was more work than I anticipated. Because <laughs> I, I'd never, I'd never written a book for a public audience. I had written one book for the business, in a turtle book, and it was about the cow campaign. It was called Power of Cow, uh, to help the Chick Fil A under family understand this iconic campaign and what you do with it and what you don't do with it. But in terms of writing a book for public sale, this was my first one. Uh, I hired a friend as a ghostwriter to help me, um, you know, help me unpack my story. I talked to him for hours and hours and hours, and we crafted a story out. The book is a story. It is not an academic book. It is my story. It's the story of the Chick-fil-A founder, how we traveled together through the bigger story of the Chick-fil-A brand. Um, now, I had the unbelievable privilege of being part of the story, but it is, it is a, put it another way, it is a biography of the Chick-fil-A brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it stops when I left. I, I don't go past 2015. Mm-hmm. But it was in, when I got through with it, and it took me about a year and a half to write it. And I say this in my closing chapter. The most people ask me, what, how did you feel? I felt, I felt grateful. Mm-hmm. Now, you would think after 35 years, you would understand what you've gone through. But sometimes in the heat of the battle, day to day, you get up, you hit the floor, you go to work, you go to meetings, you travel, et cetera, et cetera. After sitting down for a year and a half and documenting the story of the brand and my experience through it, I was incredibly grateful to Truett Cathy and, quite frankly, my Heavenly Father for giving me the privilege of being part of an amazing journey. Um, and associating with being associated with just an incredible organization and the people that are part of it. So that's the headline on what I felt when I was done. Not only the relief of <laughs> the relief of being finished, but yes. the bigger feeling was what a gift mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed. And that's the primary reason I wrote the book was to help the Chick-fil-A family and even those outside of the family understand uh, the unique nature of this business, this brand, and it's rooted in a founder who saw the business as a gift. And I like to tell people that True Kathy tried, figured out 
he, he wasn't focused on growth. He wasn't focused on profits. Now, he knew we had to be financially healthy, but that did not motivate church His This sounds contrived and it sounds fluffy, but I'm telling you it's the truth. Truett Cathy was motivated to see other people thrive in the business, to give other people opportunities to exercise their giftedness, whether it was in, in the restaurant as an operator, a team member, or at the home office. He took great joy in seeing people thrive. He took great joy in seeing the business be healthy enough that it was attracting new talent all the time. He was attracted to young people. He loved young people. And he, he taught Sunday school for eighth graders for something like 30 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, was, he got his energy from young people. Well, fast food <laughs> lives on the energy of young talent. Yeah, for sure. And, and he figured out a way to unleash them. And it's a great, it's a, it's a great American story of how capitalism ought to work, quite frankly. And um, that, that we, could, we could spend another 30 minutes talking about that. But, <laughs> right. Um, he he uh, gave me a great gift in writing the book. Helped me really appreciate that. Uh, gratitude is such an important thing. If you can do it in the heat of the battle, but if not looking back and, and then imparting that on someone else. So um, great stuff, Steve. Man, I, I, I've had so much fun chatting with you, Steve. Uh, I want to, I want to get to my last question here in a minute, but I want to give you the, give you the opportunity uh, for people to connect with you. Now I said, I, I'll put the link in the show notes to buy the book. Definitely yeah. go get this book. But where's the best way to connect with Steve Robinson? Well, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I also have a website. I do a little consulting and some speaking. Uh, it's srobinsonconsulting.com. You'll find me there. Cool. And I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook. I, I haven't gotten into the Twitter scene because I'm retired and I, I like to still have a little time for golf. <laughs> so I don't want to spend all my time dealing with Twitter traffic. So yeah, uh, I'm in those predominantly those three places. All right. We'll put those links in the show notes. So Steve, if somebody were to say to you, uh, now, now obviously being retired, maybe this actually is the case, but maybe not. Uh, somebody were to say to you, Steve, you're all done being a storyteller. You can't tell any more stories. What would be uh, your last story you'd want to go out on? Well, I think I'm telling it. Yeah. Um, I, I'm still a storyteller. And I'm telling the Chick-fil-A story because there's, there's, um, people, there's a lot of people love Chick-fil-A. Uh, but there's still a little bit of mystery around why is Chick-fil-A a brand they love so much? Or why, how, how does Chick-fil-A do what they do? And, and, I, and, and I've worked with people in the home office, so I have permission to kind of pull the curtain back a little bit to say, look, th- this is what makes this business click. And if you're part of Chick-fil-A, don't forget these principles that make Chick-fil-A what it is. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're not part of Chick-fil-A, there may be some of these principles that you could bring into your business or your enterprise or your ministry and they could have a transformative impact on you and your business as well mm-hmm. um, because I think there's some paradigms in the marketplace which some of them we've talked about that undermine the whole art of personal engagement and showing people honor dignity and respect that is my primary goal of story, telling this story 
Chick-fil-A is a brand that, that uh, shows dignity. It shows engagement and honors every person that encounters Chick-fil-A. That's their goal. And I think a lot of businesses have maybe gotten a little wayward from that and they're very transactional. Hmm. And people, when you engage with people in a genuine way, Chick-fil-A is a, is a, it gives evidence that they respond to it because that's what they're doing. And so that, that's, that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to unpack the, my 35 year story there because I think it will help people in the business, in the Chick-fil-A business and those outside. What a blessed life to be able to do what you love for 35 years and then continue to do it now and telling your story. Well, thanks for taking time to share that story with Storytellers Network today, Steve. I appreciate you being on the show. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. It was fun. Once again, Steve Robinson, author of Covert Cows and Chick-fil-A. You need to go buy that book. Great stuff. Wonderful conversation. Thank you so much, Steve. And if you want to connect with Steve, buy that book, find him on LinkedIn. All those links are in the show notes uh, at thestorytellersnetwork.com or in your podcast player of choice. So there you go. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider sharing it with someone. Text it, share it, social media, Facebook, Instagram, wherever you want to put it. I do appreciate that. And if you uh, really enjoyed it, feel free to leave a rating and review and your podcast player of choice. So there you have it. Go to thestorytellersnetwork.com to contact me. Send me an email on a contact page. Let me know what you love about the show. Tell me your story, however you want to kind of connect and, and check it out. And also subscribe to the show on the subscribe page. You can actually get emails uh, twice a month right now is what I'm doing. So check that out. Appreciate you listening. Thank you very much. Until next time, here's to telling our stories, having those stories to tell. Cheers. Cheers.